It was 115 degrees on the roof. We brought a, a, a gauge up there, and it, it was 130 degrees up there. Oh, so equipment was shutting down. I had sprinklers, like, shooting on stuff to cool it down. Had to call in other cooks to kind of be in the kitchen and help out. Everyone kind of stepped it up. They don't teach you that shit in culinary school. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, like, you just, it's do or die at that point. Hello and welcome to the Dine One Six, a food podcast about Sacramento, where we talk to anyone working in the food industry in and around our city. Our goal, as always, is to take you behind the scenes and introduce you to the people who are making your favorite dining experiences happen. I'm your host, Max Connor, joined with my co-host, Neil Little, as always. Neil, what's happening, man? What's been going on? You know, my favorite time of the year is finally here. It is summertime, and that also means it is grilling and smoking season. For those of my friends that I've blown up for the past week and a half, I have gotten a new grill and smoker recently, and I've my first attempt was at some smoked ribs, and they were outstanding. Mm. I'm very excited to be grilling and cooking on that for the rest of the summer and foreseeable future. Max, uh, I know kids are out of school now. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, kids are out of school. They don't have a camp for about this first month, so we're piecing it together. I think school got out on a Friday, and by a Sunday morning, I was like, this is <laughs> this is going to be rough. But no, I mean, yeah, summertime's great. Kids go swimming at the local pool as well as at my mom's house all the time, and they're excited to have a break. And yeah, man, life is good. Life is good. I remember camp grandparents during the summer, too. Like, mom and dad being like, wow, you know, like you said, three days out. All, all your school suddenly doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. They're there today. They're at camp grandma right now. Well, one of the fun things about them being at pa- camp grandparents is that you get to go try some fun food that we've gotten to do recently. And we are going to have another chef from a friend of the podcast from Bodega Kitchen and Cocktails. If you guys listened to us previously, we had Chris... Sinclair on who was their bar manager there and we are lucky enough to have Matt Brown now who is their executive chef and he's got some awesome stories about early Sacramento restaurant scene and how he became to be the head chef at Bodega Kitchen and Cocktails. Yeah Matt is as you'll hear he's just a good hang as they say he was really really fun to talk to it was especially fun to hear him talk about all the places in Sacramento because he's a Sacramento kid through and through he's been cooking for a long time And he had some great stories about how the Sacramento food scene has changed and some great stories about learning to cook different cuisines. He's also just in it. I mean, he's he's a food nerd, for lack of a better term, right? He's sort of a a collector. He's talked about he's into vinyl and other things as well. And he's kind of that way with cookbooks and food. When he gets into something, he gets into it. And he is that way with food as well, which we love here on the podcast. So without much more chit-chat from you and me, Neil, let's just go ahead and jump into our interview with Chef Matt Brown from Bodega Kitchen and Cocktails. Right on. So first question we always ask is just, what was food like in the home growing up? What was food like as a um, kid? My mom always had a, a pretty good a finger on the pulse of good food. I mean, she was reading Alice Waters' cookbook in, you know, 1980, 1990. She was cooking that food. You know, uh, we'd have friends that would come over, and they wouldn't know what polenta was or they wouldn't know what risotto was, and my mom was cooking that. And we were the weird family. You know, if you were to go 20 years in the future from there, we probably would have been typical because I don't want to call it trendy, but less people knew about it. My dad, on the other side, would be – 
I wouldn't call it white trash, but it was definitely uh, more of a boiled asparagus vibe. Mm. So my mom cooked dinner most of the time, and that's how I was introduced to a lot of things that, that I loved growing up eating. But it was also cool when he would cook because it was just like applesauce and sausages, which I still which I still love, you know, and or he cooked like a mean spaghetti or something like that. So the, the basics were always rolling through. But yeah, we um, we ate dinner every single night. You know, everyone had to sit down at the table. You had to act a certain way, and you, there was no elbows on the table. It was my mom was definitely a stickler for um, <laughs> for doing it right. You know, like if I'm going to take you guys out in public, you better not act like a fool. So let's learn the the right way to act at dinner here. Yeah. And for me, uh, cooking at home was always just something I enjoyed doing. It was like alchemy to me. You know, I remember. Uh, my brother and sister, they weren't really into it. They were cool with just like yogurt and cereal. And I was the first one that was like, yo, let's, I remember watching um, Pee Wee's Playhouse when I was a kid. And on one of the episodes, uh, he shows you how to make French toast. And I think that was like the first thing I ever cooked in the kitchen. And I straight destroyed that kitchen. Just, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. And I made some breakfast sausages that were like burnt on the outside and frozen in the center still. And I think I still ate it. Because I didn't know better. But yeah, Pee Wee Herman taught me my first dish. <laughs> now, where were you growing up? Where was this? Uh, here in Sacramento. In Sacramento. Here okay. in Sacramento, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised in Sac. I hopped around a little bit later in my 20s, but not too much. And then obviously came back, and uh, here I am, yeah. How many siblings do you have? I got two siblings. Okay. I'm the youngest. I got an older brother, and I got an older sister. My brother's actually a butcher at the co-op. And then my sister lives in, in Florida. So they definitely, uh, even though I said that they weren't into cooking as much as I was, they definitely do now. And my sister can cook like a mug, and my brother knows his way around the kitchen pretty well, too. Yeah. Yeah. So when we all get together, Christmas and all the holidays, there's a lot of drinking, there's a lot of talking shit, and there's a lot of good food cooking. Nice. That's yeah. a pretty good combination right there. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. So you talked about the French toast when you were cooking that. Like, was that when you knew like this is what you wanted to do, or did that come a little bit later on? Definitely came later. I was kind of a, I was a bad kid. You know, I got into a lot of trouble. I did a lot of things you weren't supposed to do. So I ended up being grounded a lot, and I was never allowed to go out. But since I had all these older siblings, there was always their friends coming in and coming out, and then they'd always go out and do their things. But I couldn't because. Because I was just always starting shit. But the one thing that I did get like a kick out of if I was going to be stuck at home, at least I could like help cook dinner or something mm. like that. You know what I mean? I'm, and, you know, my parents were always pretty cool with me kind of jumping in the kitchen and helping out. And so that's kind of, I suppose I developed a pat. I mean, everyone should know how to cook dinner, right? Yeah, I mean, everyone sure. has a passion for food of, of some sorts. But I feel like it was my junior or, or senior year of high school I think Kitchen Confidential had just come out, and I read that book. And I was already working in restaurants. I think I was barely cooking at that time. But I had been a busser and a dishwasher at, at various places. And kind of liked the vibe. The people in the restaurant were, were definitely more like me. I didn't like water cooler style jobs where, you know, everyone wears a suit and tie. And, you know, I, I definitely liked the pirateness of restaurants. And uh, and then when I read that book, I was like, wow, this book's like speaking directly to me. This is exactly what mm -hmm. I want to do. And then right after high school, I got my first job making pizzas at this place called Cafe Malazzo. 
which is now One Speed Pizzeria. Oh, wow. Uh, oh. Right there on 48th, uh, 48th and Folsom Boulevard. And so I definitely learned a lot from working there. The Farragher family who owned it, I still talk to them all the time. I'm catering their their son's wedding in September. So, And this was, man, so I'm, I'm 40-something now. So this was like over 20 years ago. So wow. it's kind of wild how long it's been. They definitely taught me a lot. I mean, I started making pizzas there, but Malazzo was really cool because it was a bakery. It was a really good sandwich spot for lunch. And then when it switched to dinner time, it was pizzas, and it had a whole different dinner menu too. Uh, obviously, heavy, heavy Italian, but I still haven't found a baked ziti in Sacramento that is just not even a good or bad one. I just haven't seen a baked ziti in Sacramento. I mean, I could be wrong, and I don't search that far and wide, but <laughs> I miss a good baked ziti, and I think about Malazzo's all the time. Listeners out there, if you know of a good baked ziti in Sacramento, yeah, let us know. Hit us up, and we'll yeah, we'll yeah, let Chef yeah, Matt send Brown me on my way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'll do some research. You talked about the first meal you made. Do you remember a meal you made where your parents kind of looked at you and went, "Damn, this is this is good." You might kind of know what you're doing. Yeah, we used to ditch high school, and my parents worked, so we would we would go back. I hope they don't listen to this. Um, <laughs> uh, then we would go back to my house, and we had this like a coffin freezer just full of meat. And you know, my dad hunted, and sometimes there would be like duck or like some random cuts of meat that my mom would pick up at the store or something, and. And oh, and my my dad was a home brewer and a winemaker, still is, and so naturally there was a bunch of meat and a bunch of booze just sitting around. And you know, when you're in high school, you're like, dude, let's go to my house. And like nobody's there. <laughs> yeah. We could go swimming. We could drink and like just horrible stuff that I hope my kid doesn't do. And so there would always be leftovers. And then they would come home and I'd just pretend like I had just done it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it would be like a whole roasted chicken like on the table or something like that. And they'd be stoked because they'd be like, oh, we don't need to cook dinner tonight. Matt made dinner at, you know, like three or four. And I was like, that shit's been on the table since like noon. <laughs> <laughs> Not on the table, but like, you know, we'd clean up or whatever and try to make it look clean before my parents came home. So they were they would always be stoked to come home and see like a roast chicken and then they would kind of cook some potatoes. And so it was always a, a collaborative effort, but they always knew that I enjoyed doing it. And it wasn't like, oh, Matt, this is amazing. It kind of just turned into a thing where it's like Matt will cook and then we can all eat together and I'll yeah. kind of I'll cook something to go alongside with it. Were you teaching yourself or did your mom help you out in the kitchen and like show you the ways? She definitely showed me the ways a lot. She taught me, you know, why you stir risotto and. I would listen to my parents argue about what temperature the grill should be on when they grill. They still do it. They still argue to this day about the temperature of the grill when they're grilling things. So I'd always kind of take pieces of what they thought how food should be cooked. But she also showed me cookbooks. Or if I ever asked a question, if it was about anything in life, my dad would be like, grab the encyclopedia and look it up, even mm. though he knew the answer. And then my mom was the same way about cooking. I'd be like, hey, uh, do you know any cool, like, you know, chocolate chip cookie recipes? She'd be like, here's the joy of cooking. Find a recipe. You know what I mean? And that was like actually the first cookbook that I remember messing around with was just flipping through the joy of cooking. And it was like it was such small print, just like so, so dense. And there's so many different versions of it. So I got good at just kind of like digging through that and finding recipes. What was the movie? Uh, was it Julia and Julia? Yeah, Ju There's a Julia scene where they're interviewing the woman who supposedly made that book, and Julia Child's asking her, she goes, so when you did recipe testing, and she was like, <laughs> recipe testing? She, like, <laughs> laughed at her. And I remember kind of, like, flipping through the book and, like, cooking a couple things and being like, 
this is weird. And so I tweak it. And then I saw that movie and it was kind of like an aha moment where I was like, no wonder some of those recipes were kind of whack. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like she probably just looked at another book when she's like, boom, chocolate chip cookies. There it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, everything is in that book. And it is. Some of it is nails. And I've looked up some of something that's been like, this is, this is whack. This is yeah, like no, for the most sense. part it is. Yeah, it's, right? it's, it's really good. It's a really good cookbook. But yeah. every now and then you'll stumble across a recipe and you'll be like, I don't know if you guys double check this or what. You know? <laughs> exactly Thousands right. Thousands of recipes. It, it's got to take a long time to make a book like that, you know? Absolutely. So, so that's what you do with dishes in the in the restaurant. You, you're constantly tweaking them. You're constantly making them better. And people out front may not notice, but, I mean, even to this day, dishes on the menu at Bodega mm-hmm. were slowly making small i mean the cocoa bread we change the temperature on how we proof it and you know at first we were like oh this recipe's perfect and then slowly as we started doing business the kitchen's different during summertime than it is during winter time and we realized that okay the dough has to proof over here during the summertime but over here it has to proof mm. during the winter time and it's a huge difference and we're still the new kids on the block you know we haven't done a whole year yet so who knows what it's going to be like in the beginning of summer. You know, this was August of last year that we kind of were learning about that. So we're always making like small, like little fine-tuned, kind of nailing it in as we progress with every recipe that we're working on. And I say we because it's not 100% me. It's I have a really good squad and um, no man can do it by himself. I shouldn't say that. Because the man doing it by himself right now is probably listening. He's like, fuck you, man. I'm <laughs> out here doing it by myself. But I'm not. You got to have a good squad, you know, like you'll just wear yourself out trying to do shit like that, you yeah. know, and, and I'm glad uh, we got uh, Sarah Saldana. She's she's my sous chef over there. And John Mullins, he was cooking at Red Rabbit before. And um, Shangri-La, I got somebody who just had a, a natural passion for being a pastry chef. And so I actually really like green people because it's just a clean slate rather than somebody who isn't green and they think they know everything at least somebody green, they'll just, if you show them once, that's how they know how to do it. Yeah. And I've had pastry chefs in the past who will change your recipes. And I found that out when we hired this new pastry chef where she was like, no, he didn't, he didn't tell me to cook it like this. And I was like, well, this is how you're supposed to be cooking it. You know, and that's what they do. They just change your shit sometimes. And you'll be sitting there wondering why your food's not the same. Hmm. And then they'll lie about it too. <laughs> I was like, no, I said, swear to God, that was a tablespoon of yeast. And you look through their booklets, and it's like two teaspoons. You're like, liar. Gotcha. <laughs> no, I totally get it, though. Yeah. Like, I, I feel the same way when it comes to servers. Sometimes it's easier to get a green person and teach them all the ways that you want mm-hmm. versus breaking someone else's habits and molding them into your way. Yeah, the old, the, well, we used to do it like this right. here kind of attitude. Like that over there. It's yeah. Like- well, you're yeah. not there anymore. So. Yeah, this is we're here this now. Is, yeah, let's do right. something new. Used to. That was the key part of that yeah, statement. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, as Max mentioned, Matt was a really fun just conversation and good hang. And some of the stories he was talking about, where he was, you know, cutting class, getting in trouble, and cooking with his parents because he was grounded so much brought back a little similar themes from my childhood as well. I I would say I I had a lot of parallel paths as Matt did, and it was fun now looking back and understanding the experience that I got to have with my mom and how much I treasure it, how much I as well have gotten into cooking and learning how much I loved it as well. Yeah, cooking at home is where I fell in love with it too. And I, my mom will tell you, I started cooking a lot of dinners as a late teen as well. 
So Matt went on to work at a place called Greta's Cafe in Sacramento. Eventually, he decided to take the culinary school route, went to a place called the Napoli Culinary Academy here in the Sacramento area. And then he got an opportunity through some family friends to move to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, of all places, and work as a chef at a restaurant out there, which he did for five years before bouncing back to Napa and working in a winery, which he said he hated because that was a place where you actually had to like clock in on time and clock out and take regular breaks and things he just didn't understand after working a kitchen life where you just work solid. And then he wanted to come back to Sacramento, landed at 58 Degree Holding Company, which is still there. And then finally had his first stint at a place that he kept going back to that is a Sacramento favorite, and that is the Golden Bear. <laughs> listening that's been to the Golden Bear kind of knows the type of vibe that the joint is, but I loved it because there was no pretentiousness. And so we did. We did all types of weird shit. I mean, we were cooking foie gras torchon and duck confit and then obviously all the classics of a bar that you'd expect, a really kick-ass burger, the Juicy Lucy. I didn't mess with that because obviously that's Billy Zolan putting that on there and um, that's the diners, drivers, and dive thing. So I didn't want to tweak with the restaurant too, or the the classics of the restaurant too much, but I definitely wanted to make it that you could come there and have a really good dining experience without tablecloths, without a server standing there calling you sir with their arms behind their back. And all of a sudden when that happens, the price of your meal goes up 20%, you know what I mean? Just for those things. Like what if we removed all the pretentiousness? What if we removed the tablecloths? What if we removed the servers and we still provided this type of cuisine that you could enjoy? We were making pasta from scratch. We were making a lot of our gnocchi. We were baking a lot of our bread, if not all of it at the end. Yeah, towards the end, we were baking all of our bread. And then bodega happened. So Chris, the flair, Sinclair, and... Friend of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, he was on, right? Yeah. And Rafael Jimenez Rivera... They were barking at my tree. I I said no a couple times because I really liked Golden Bear. I didn't. I left because, for me, this was the next move as somebody who works in a kitchen is to to own your own spot. But I was reluctant because I'm reluctant about everything. You know, I'm like a cat, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Which like when you open the door and you're like, "Are you coming in or not?" Like you know, just like to stick one paw in. And is then that where Bodega's around. logo comes from? Is yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Brown oh, yeah exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> That's me, stuck in the O. And uh, you know, we eventually I came and looked at the spot, and I mean, they did all the legwork and finding the spot, coming up with the vibe. I know Raphael wanted to be heavily Puerto Rican, and I think Chris kind of pushed for instead of just Puerto Rican, the Caribbean side. But we hit we hit Puerto Rican food pretty hard. It must have been like February, not last February, but the February before where I kind of made up my mind that I was going to do it. March, I was kind of physically inside the building doing things, working on a menu. And by August, we were open. But it was plenty of time to come up with a cool menu, do recipe testing. The restaurant needed a lot of work. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and here we are, almost a year into uh, being open. I love the fact that we kind of are outside, not even kind of, we are outside downtown Midtown. First time I've lived in Sacramento and haven't worked in the downtown Midtown area. I really like the family restaurant vibe. I like that it is relatively untapped. There's not a lot of restaurants out there. I mean, there's Caccio, which is killing it. They're awesome people. They come into the restaurant. We try to go there as often as we can. And there's some other cool spots, but um, 
we are the only bar restaurant besides one or other two spots. Yeah, we're kind of stoked to be the new kids on the block out there killing it. Yeah. So Bodega being a very Caribbean influence, how does that work? Like, what what kind of research did you do to get prepared for? Yeah, I I, do, I dove in head first, which is what I do. I was very well aware of the fact that I'm a white guy cooking Caribbean food. We had this lady from Cuba come in, and she was very polite the way she asked. But I could tell that deep within her question, she was like, so what makes you think that you can cook Caribbean food? And my answer to her was nobody asked me if I was Italian when I cooked pasta. And that was it. That was all. And she, she kind of she got it and she giggled a little bit. And she's like, you're right. You know, like, you know, there's no reason why anybody shouldn't be able to. You could figure out anything. And my thing was, if I'm going to learn how to cook something, I'm going to look at at least five different ways that five different people have cooked it. And so I'm not ripping off recipes. I'm going to kind of come up with my own amalgamation of what this dish should be. Uh, if you've been to the restaurant, you know that if you've been alive, you know what a Cubano sandwich is and you know it doesn't come on Jamaican cocoa bread. But we did that and there's probably some aficionado out there just running our name through the mud, but eat the sandwich. It's delicious, mm -hmm. you know. It is. I can attest to that. Yeah, it's, it's a good sandwich, right? You know, and Raphael's family, his dad uh, used to own a Puerto Rican restaurant, and they, they came through, and I was able to pick his brain a lot about cuisines and food, and Raphael himself has showed me. And so it was just an obsessive amount of studying that I did. Luckily, I was able to – we dealt with COVID at Golden Bear, and there was a period – where it was just me and Josh Milham running that spot. And slowly as time progressed, we were able to get more employees. But what ended up happening is I had to get myself out of the kitchen. And uh, I actually kind of made a lot of money doing some bartending stuff. And so I was able to save some cash. The silver lining of COVID is that I was able to open this restaurant because I wasn't working for six months. Mm. So when I would go there and do deep cleaning, and then I wouldn't work late, and which was really nice. So I'd come home and study the rest of the night. I kind of had this energy. I felt like the deep cleaning didn't deplete me of energy the same way a long kitchen shift did, even yeah. though it was it was crazy. And I was learning things. Like I'd never fixed a door before. I'd never followed a water line to figure out where the source was in the ceiling. You know, I'd never done all these things, and it was just learning as I went. One thing I've learned about recently from just opening a restaurant that – Cooking is so minimal. <laughs> like it, you could cook, doesn't mean you should open a restaurant. You know, mm -hmm. it's when that heat wave happened in August, I wasn't in the kitchen at all. I mean, I was on the roof most of the time with my ginger ass, just getting, just absorbing those sun and just getting burnt. <laughs> but, you know, trying to fix the HVAC, trying to fix the walk in, everything was shutting down because it, it was literally like a hundred. It was 115 degrees on the roof. We brought a, a, a gauge up there, and it, it was 130 degrees up there. Oh, God. So equipment was shutting down. I had sprinklers, like, shooting on stuff to cool it down. Had to call in other cooks to kind of be in the kitchen and help out. Everyone kind of stepped it up. They don't teach you that shit in culinary school. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, like, you just – it's do or die at that point. It's a whole different animal than – I mean, owning a business – being a business owner is its own thing. Regardless of the business by itself. So, yeah, oh, it totally is. Yeah, it a, totally is. It's um, if you can make a pizza, it doesn't mean you should open a pizzeria. Right. You know what I mean? You got to want to deal with all the bullshit that comes in. You guys had a, a guest on here. Um, what was her name? She owns the tap house in um, Rebecca. I, I liked her metaphor. She said, restaurant whack a mole. Yeah. You solve yeah. one. That when she said that, I don't know her, but yeah, 
I like that analogy. You connected it made in me that laugh. Moment. I was in my car, literally LOLing. <laughs> you know, just all, 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 all. <laughs> So at the restaurant when you're doing specials, like, explain to us your process of what ingredients you want to the end dish being a special that day. What is your whole process in that? Do you where do you find your inspiration? It was the ingredients themselves that made me really study. I mean, I, I hadn't cooked with yuca too much, different types of sofritos plethora of coconut milk, uh, jerk seasoning, everything. So it was eventually, I, I just, this like list, like a tree, if you will. Okay. Like you could jerk, you don't have to jerk chicken. You don't have to, like I said, you don't have to put the Cubano on, on that type of bread. You could kind of do different things. And I got dishwashers that show me how to, we got this dish on called yuca relleno. My dishwasher, Mario, he saw that we had yuca and he's like, yo, there's this dish I used to have back at home. And we would do this. He's like, we should try it. And I was like, yeah, fuck it, let's try it. So we, we did it, and people and we ran it as a special, and people loved it, and it ended up going on the menu. Mm. And That's then that, so cool. Yeah, yeah and then that. we eventually just made yuca fries kind of the same way. We just didn't stuff it. And then, uh, you know, like I said, I got Sarah and John helping me out a lot, coming up with really cool specials. We take things like a porchetta, but then we stuff it with mafongo and roll it up. So it is something that is uh, in a non-traditional way because, you know, like the mafungo would usually have the, the lechon with the plantains and then with, with a bunch of garlic and a bunch of black pepper. But instead of adding lechon, we just said, yo, let's keep the skin on that pork belly, roll it up, and then just let that puff up on itself. So And it's a, it's a kick-ass dish. And, uh, you know, John gets a lot of credit for that one. I, I'm not even going to take it. I mean, we talked about it, but he executes it. You know what I mean? And that's the thing is that... I'm no longer the person that can sit there and come up with specials and do all the other things that I have to do. I want my line cooks to be really fucking talented and be able to do their own things. One of the first chapters in Kitchen Confidential was he said, I'm the executive chef of this restaurant, which means I walk around the dining room and accept credit for everyone else's work. Now, that's not necessarily true. I work my ass off, it's, uh, but I definitely want to give credit where credit's due, yeah. that, uh, that we have a good crew. We all have these melting pots of ideas of what food should be and what it should, how it should be when it comes out of the restaurant. Well, it's such an open and, and encouraging environment. If the dishwasher can throw a dish out there that works, like that means anyone can do it. And that's just such a like... Mario Lopez of We Are Sacramento, he hit me up. Him and I used to work together back in the day. It's not like he wanted to be a dishwasher. He just wanted to be a part of the project. And he's like, yo, what do you need? And I was like, I need a dishwasher like a couple of days a week. He's like, yeah, I'll come in and help out. So he does. He helped us make papooses one day. Yeah, you know, everybody kind of throws their two cents in. And then, and then we stir it up and kind of come up with their own thing. That's how you get the best ideas. Totally. Yeah. There right. was a, a cookbook by uh, Ileana Masonette, Diasporican, which kind of came out mm -hmm. around the same time yeah. that we were opening, which was cosmic, you know. <laughs> and I ripped through that book, and her book is, is awesome. Once again, trying not to look at books and being like, I'm going to rip this off. You just absorb the information and kind of regurgitate it in your own way, you know. Looking at different recipes for Sancochos, the Mallorca. There's even, uh, we come up with a, a dessert called, uh, we didn't come up with it, but there's a dessert called tembleque, which is like a kind of a, a coconut pudding, but we put our own spin on it. And so we always try to take things that we're like, okay, tembleque is just a coconut pudding with cinnamon on it. But what if we just made a waffle cone and made it a cinnamon waffle cone and then stuffed that with a bunch of tropical fruit and put it on top of the tembleque? So obviously if you went to somewhere and said, let me get tembleque and you handed that to somebody, they'd be like, that's not tembleque. 
And we're like, we know, but these are like the ingredients and we're going to just take a play on that and kind of go the extra mile with it, you know. What do you love about being a chef in Sacramento? You know, you, you went away for a little bit. You came back here. I think you've touched on a lot of the themes of what we know chefs love about being here. But Yeah. I mean, obviously, the agriculture out here is killing it. I'm a Sacramento kid through and through. I like the way that the cooks interact with each other out here. There's a lot less of a competitive or ego. There's still, there's still competition. There's still ego. I just feel like it's a little bit subdued here. I try to mess with other chefs that the ones that I've interacted with over time are still just old friends. And when we hang out now, we don't always talk about food because we're just friends. And we talk about what a lot of people talk about with their friends. We talk about music. We talk shit. We, we just BS, you know. And, and if, even if we are cooking, we're not talking about it. You mm-hmm. know, it's just, it's just second nature. And that's kind of what I like about Sacramento is that it's, I think that the ego is a little bit less out here. You know, once again, Neil, I don't get tired of any of the sort of, not tropes, but just themes we hear in Sacramento and the idea that chefs here just have less ego and are more just kind of about the food and the produce and what they get to do in Sacramento without having to worry about the bright light, so to speak, or the huge egos of who's doing what where. People are just free to cook good food, even in a tiny spot, unassuming spot like Golden Bear, which I'm ashamed to say this because it may just you may have to just pull my food Sacramento podcast host credentials. I've never eaten at Golden Bear as long as I've lived here. I've never been there, never eaten there. Well, this just officially became a solo podcast, everyone. <laughs> Max is now off of this. I cannot believe you've never been there. You know, funny story about it. So I am a Golden Bear alumni. Although I never worked with Matt when I was there, but it was the summer of 2015, I believe it was, but my mom loved Golden Bear so much whenever she would come to town. She basically threatened my inheritance, more or less, if I didn't get a job there just because (laughs) she enjoyed the food there so much. And I happened to get a job bartending there, and it is to this day still one of my most favorite jobs in town where I met some of the coolest people and had some of the best food. I feel like Golden Bear kind of exemplifies the restaurant scene in Sacramento. It's kind of a funky little downtrodden house, but you walk in there and feel completely at home, and you're going to get some of the best food you never thought was possible out of this tiny little kitchen. And it is just one of the coolest little environments in Sacramento. And for everyone like Max, who hasn't been there, get (laughs) down there and try some because you will be blown away at how much fun it is. I will. I I will get there very soon and report back. By next episode, if I haven't been to Golden Bear, then you can start searching for a new co-host. I will take you there. I'll give you that. So we jump back in with Matt, talking a little bit about the history of the Sacramento food scene because he uniquely is a chef who's worked here for a really long time, but also grew up here and grew up eating here. So he really knows a lot about how the scene has changed over the last 20, even 30 years. And we jumped in after asking him that question. I think people's perspective of food has changed as far as the other side, as far as customers go. People are a little bit more educated now. The Food Network has made people way more educated on food. I'm a huge believer in the, you know, I hate the, I'm going to use a bartender as an example, but chefs do this too. I hate the pretentious bartender when you ask, you know, if you were to say, hey, what's Fernet? And we've all been to that restaurant where they're like, you don't know what Fernet is. It's like, that's not our, (laughs) it's our job to educate people what stuff is. 
And uh, but there's less of it now. I think a lot of people know more about food now. I think the flip side of that is cooks think that all it takes is cooking. And I think, I mean, just like the green teaching the green cook, I would rather have most of my cooks be green because they come in there with their tweezers and their apron and they think that's it. They don't know how to clean. 75% of what I do is just cleaning and organizing and making things, getting my feng shui on, you know what I mean? Just making it so the kitchen feels good to be in and it's less chaotic. And I've worked with a lot of younger cooks now who don't realize that. They just want to look through cookbooks and write down what they read and then regurgitate it like it's their own. And then they don't clean. They don't do research on what it is that we're doing. And I think people need to slow down and try to become a better employee rather than a better cook. I want good employees. I don't give a fuck if you're a good cook. Mm. I want you to be honest, dependable, on time, clean. I remember interviewing cooks, and the, the first thing I, I'd ask them was like, oh, so, so you have some experience. And they go, oh, yeah, 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 no, for sure. And I was like, oh, cool, so you could do this brunch shift. Oh, you have brunch? <laughs> Bring them in the back and be like, cool, <laughs> flip an egg. Don't break that yolk. They, they can't. You know, a lot of cooks can't do that 101 shit. And you got to be able to do that 101 shit. Uh, you got to be able to trust a chicken and you got to know your steak temps and you got to know your mother sauces. And you don't have to, but it's it helps. Yeah. Just to know the basics. And I feel like that's what the Food Network has, or, you know, not the Food Network, but the people's education on food now has made them think that if I just go into the kitchen and start yelling, then I'm just like Gordon Ramsay. If I plate with tweezers, then I'm just like Thomas Keller. I don't care about any of that shit. You know what I mean? I, I want you to be a clean, organized, good cook. I want you to be a clean, organized dishwasher. I want you to be a clean, organized bartender. Cleanliness and organization before any of that other stuff. Mm. And that's what I care the most about. You can teach someone how to cook. You can't teach work ethic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Laziness manifests itself in many forms. And I am susceptible to it, too. <laughs> you can bring me down with you. Yeah. You're right. We don't need to cook that right now. Mm -hmm. Outside of the kitchen, who are you? What do, what do you like to do? Are you reading anything? Like, who, who, is, who is Matt Brown outside of Bodega? I enjoy gardening a lot. I'm a huge record collector. I love jazz and funk like, mm. like it's nobody's business. And I really love, like, digging through vinyl and finding real deep cuts. You know, when people say, oh, you like jazz, you must... You must love Miles Davis, but uh, obviously, yeah, of course, who who doesn't? Right. But I really like the things that people don't know about. You know, I'm listening to this band right now called Stuff, which is this really cool band with this guitar player named Eric Gale. And I, as soon as I found out about that band, I tried to go to all the record stores or find find their stuff online. I play the bass. I can't admit that I try to read books that aren't cookbooks, but I I end up reading cookbooks probably more than I read <laughs> other things because I'm obsessive. I like to toe the line uh, between a know-it-all and somebody who doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> whatever, whatever that line is. It's probably a giant line. I, I'm actually laying face down on that line. Uh, it's not just towing it. But yeah, so I, I, I do read a lot, but it tends to be, I guess, work-related. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I like to do altogether. I think gardening is going to be really good this summer. I mm. look forward to that. I cook at home, and, and that's a different vibe. You know, when I cook... When I go to my parents' house and I cook there, they're like, 
oh no, you don't cook. This is what you do all the time. I'm like, no, it's this is completely different. Right. I get There's, to relax this, and cook yeah, for like once. If, if this dinner comes out an hour late, I don't care what you guys think. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but you know, for, and it for, will come out an hour it, late. And it will because we're drinking and we're having a good time. But so I, I do enjoy just dining and eating a plethora of cheese before my meal and drinking a bunch of wine and then sitting down and hanging out outside and smoking a cigar afterwards and just kind of treating myself. I actually don't really go out to eat too much because I kind of prefer doing that at home. You know, and, and no offense to any restaurant because it's just cheaper that way. All right, rapid fire. Rapid fire. Two questions. Yep. What's your favorite cheap guilty pleasure? Gym boys. No, yeah, no problem. Gym boys. Those tacos, a lot of people don't agree with me. I love gym boys. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, yeah. It must suck that they're all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's why they continue growing. Yeah. All right. What is your favorite food movie? Hmm. I, uh, I everyone knows about Chef and everyone knows about Ratatouille and those are really good ones. Uh, you know, Big Night was the one I the first one I remember watching. But there's this really cool one called uh, Bobette's Feast, and it's about this woman who goes to this village and they're really uptight and they don't really they just eat boiled things and they don't really have a flair for life, and she wins the lottery. And she decides to spend all the money cooking one really good meal for this entire village. And it's what the hoops that she jumps through to, to get the ingredients. They're a heavily religious village. So they also think that maybe she's up to some, some devilish stuff. But uh, at the end of the day, when she shows them this meal and it changes everyone's life and perspective on life and what living really is. That's a really cool movie, uh, Bobette's Feast. I need to check that out. That yeah. sounds yeah, fantastic. Totally. What's your favorite dish to cook at home? You know, it, it depends on what time of year it is. Like we were saying earlier, I really enjoy, especially during the summertime, being out in my backyard with a grill on and just picking whatever out of my garden and tossing it with a bunch of greens. It ends up being, I wouldn't say it's vegan because I always throw some like cheese or maybe some leftover, yesterday's leftover chicken in it. But that's my favorite thing to cook at home is just mm. anything that I could pick out of the garden and eat right then and there. It's typically healthier, which I need a lot more of in my life. But if it was wintertime, I would say I enjoy, you know, roasting a chicken and ripping it apart and then taking those bones and making a soup and just spending all day cooking, even if it's just like a, a simple potato leek soup or something like that, you know, and then eating the chicken on the side and using the broth. I like spending all day to cook so it heats up the house. And then when you when you walk up to the house, you could see the, the windows perspirating mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, there's, you know, they're cooking in there. I want to be inside <laughs> there. I want to go in there and open a bottle of wine and just kick it, you know. That's funny. I'm the same way. I cook way more in the winter and I'm more outside in the summer. Totally. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 100%. What's one restaurant like? Think like it's Tuesday night and you're going out to get a bite to eat. Where do you want to give some love to in Sacramento? What's a good, easy Tuesday night spot to go to? Man, you guys ever heard of Bodega? <laughs> <laughs> Those guys are killing it. I don't get a uh, chance to go out too often, but uh, a while back I went to Bencho Yaki for the first time, and they've been there forever, and it was it was amazing. It was a great meal. 
and they also live in in the neighborhood and they're very nice people and they've come in a couple times and i'm not just saying that because i went there it was just kind of a coincidence i didn't realize it at first but it was uh, my favorite thing to do is to go to a restaurant and hand the server back the menu and just be like i'll let you know when i'm done and they laced me out properly and it was good and everything was delicious Mm. and yeah those guys are those guys are killing it i think that's really cool i I think a compliment for any chef or restaurant is when industry people come there. Yeah. And I feel like I can say that about your place, same thing with Golden Bear and Bin Yaki. Those are very much like where industry people go. I still go to Golden Bear yeah. too. Oh, Frank absolutely. is killing it. His specials are really good. Yeah. And once again, uh, that non-pretentious vibe. He just wants to cook good food and kick it and, and have some fun. Yeah, I did, yeah. I did brunch at your spot a couple weeks ago, and it was oh, you came in for yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. God, yeah. It was the, the hangover cure or whatever it yeah, was? Yeah, the hangover bowl. Yeah, I, I wasn't even hungover and I was cured. That was Chris's <laughs> uh, wife. She said you need to have something on the brunch menu with rice in it. Yep. And we we're like, all right, let's just, just cover rice with a bunch of breakfast stuff. <laughs> and, and you, you guys had the pineapple fried rice or something like that. We yeah, we oh. were doing a fried rice that day for a special. Yeah, yeah. That was incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can't. Uh, I can't get enough of fried rice. That's actually what my, my poor, I cook a lot of rice at the house and I always end up having uh, rice leftovers. And I don't know why I just never get tired. Matter of fact, that was my favorite dish at Bencho Yaki. I can't even tell you what it was, but it was this like- The crispy chef, rice? Dude, that, that shit blew my mind. <laughs> I know exactly what yeah, you're talking yeah. about. It's that incredible. shit blew my mind. I was yeah. like, let's get like three of those yep. here. Yeah. 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 No. What's the dish from your childhood you wish you could go back in time and eat? You know, my, my parents are still around, thank God. And so anytime I kind of have that nostalgic feeling, I just call my mom and I ask for the recipe. But my mom, she used to make these waffles. They're raised waffles. Uh, so you mean you, you make them the day before. You add some yeast. They proof slowly overnight. When she would cook them in the morning, it was like a cartoon where I would just be like traveling on my nose would pick me up and I would just like float down mm. the hallway to the smell or to the, you know, to the smell of it. So I called my mom and I was like, yeah, what's up with that recipe? Can I can I get that raised waffle recipe? And I still eat it all the time. Matter of fact, I put it on the brunch menu at Bodega. It's, you know, the one of the one non-Caribbean things on the menu there. But I was like, yo, this waffle's too good to not have it. And I've definitely changed people's perspective on waffles. They always think I'm just trying to hype myself up. I'm like, hey man, just so you know, you're never gonna want another waffle after this one. And it's true. Like I there's something crispy and crunchy and it's like light and yeah. It's it's those raised waffles. We right. just had this conversation the other day about yeah. waffles versus pancakes. I'm team waffle. What, what does it go? It goes it goes waffle in my opinion, waffle, French toast, crepe, and I'm sorry, but pancakes are just on the bottom for me. Preach, man. Yeah. Preach. <laughs> I'm all in on this. I completely agree. Yep. Yep. Now, I will admit, the, the, like, I enjoy one waffle, like, one single first crispy waffle, like, mm-hmm. off, the, off the flat top, but then no, pan, uh, but not waffle, I'm sorry, pancake, but then waffles the rest of the way. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'll eat them all. Yeah, I'm not yeah, going to say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I'll eat them Let's all. clarify yeah, this yeah, real yeah. quick. Yeah. I'm not a hater. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I'll, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, I used to go to my friends' houses, and, you know, now that we're all older and we're getting married and I get to know their wives and... And they would always come up to me and be like, oh, I, I'm so sorry that lunch is like this. And, and oh, I, I'm sure your expectations are so much high. And I'm just like, yo, can you imagine if I lived in a world where nobody wants to cook for me? I was like, that sucks. I was like, don't apologize for anything that you're doing. I love it when people cook for me. And I promise you, I'm not sitting there thinking, well, I would have done it like this. Right. I don't do that. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just happy when somebody cooks for me. If you make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, we're best friends. You know, and yeah, I couldn't imagine just 
picking people's food apart because it's it's one of the best way to show love to, yeah. to somebody who's cooking for somebody. And I'll never rip somebody down for that. Right on. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. With all of that. Cool. Matt Brown, thank you so much for coming on the Dine 1-6. It was great to have you here. Hell yeah. This is great, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing I've really started to notice with a lot of these podcasts, Max, is like we go into this podcast not really knowing the person that we're going to interview. And then by the end of it, it feels like we've been friends for years and have had so many similar situations and experiences that I just don't really want the interview to end. I just kind of want to, you know, crack open another cold one and just hang out with the person we're interviewing. It's just so much fun. And all of these interviews have been so revealing about how much of this industry and scene is just booming right now. And it's really fun to see. It is. It's really cool. And I mean, our time with Matt was a lot longer than than this podcast. We spent a long time talking to him before and after the mics were off. As you heard, just a really great guy and a guy who, like I said at the top, loves food and is cooking some really fun, interesting stuff out there at Bodega. Another unassuming spot that is really killing it in Sacramento and that we're all glad to have over there in a different area, right? Not not doesn't always have to be in, in Midtown. There's a lot of good food happening all over the city. You don't even have to look too hard to find it. So, yeah, we can't thank Matt enough for coming on. He was a great guest, and it was a lot of fun to hear his story. So if you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together, please, please, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. You can get the podcast on YouTube as well if that's where you like to listen. And if you know anyone who you think would want to hear this episode, if you know anyone who you think would like our show, please send them a link to our website, dine16.com. That is how the show is going to grow. That is how we're going to be able to keep doing this for a long time and keep bringing you great stories and taking you behind the scenes of all these awesome people making good food happen here in Sacramento. You can follow us on Instagram. The handle is at dine 16 our opening and closing theme music are by my brother-in-law, Mark Owens. The Dine 1-6 is a production of the Hear Me Now studio in Citrus Heights, California. We've got another great guest coming up in two weeks. Keep an eye on your podcast feed for that. And as always, until next time, eat something you love with someone you love. And do to Golda Bear. <laughs> <laughs>